you can stand back up for the reading of the Word of God. Hallelujah. At least you get some exercise here. How about that? 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. I'm going to read verses 10 through 15 and then allow you to be seated. Uh, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And uh, he begins in verse 10, or I'm going to begin in verse 10. He says, now I plead with you. I want you to notice how passionate he is in what he's asking of this church. And he's talking to the Christians. He said, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. And then Paul asked them three questions. He said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He said, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Now, Paul is making a passionate appeal here for unity uh, in this church at Corinth. And actually, if you read the Word of God, the first era, if you want to say it that way, that Paul ever addressed concerning any church was the era of division. And Paul passionately goes after this, and he talks about it in a lot of the New Testament, particularly at the church at Corinth, but he wasn't the only one to talk about it. And he is appealing for harmony and unity, but he is not appealing for the elimination of diversity. How many knows you can have unity and still maintain diversity? How many knows that unity is not uniformity? That there is a difference. Amen? You can be seated. Amen. Good to see you this morning. God bless you for being here. I, uh, I'm going to talk about this today because I just think it's so uh, important uh, now. And the title of this is Things That Separate Us. Uh, my wife was actually in a, we'll just say, in a place of business the other day, and someone was speaking with her in regard to the coronavirus and their experiences with it. And then someone else that wasn't part of the conversation decided to join in and uh, offer their strong, passionate opinion. And the person that had initiated the conversation with my wife was not proud of that joining in. And it uh, became very, very heated. Uh, and it became very loud, she said, and to the point that one person uh, told another person something and left. <laughs> and I'll let your mind just wonder what he told them. But it made her nervous because it was such a heated deal. And it was all over what we're going on. And, and, and uh, it was because of just the conversation that was going on. And this person was just sharing with my wife that they had had the, the virus and what they did. And the other person was, you know, had another opinion about things. And I don't know that I've ever seen a more sensitive time uh, that we're all living in. And we see that so pronounced in social media today because everybody now has a platform. Uh, you don't have to have a microphone, just have a phone. And uh, you can express your opinions and politically and religiously and, and uh, scientifically or whatever. And, of course, most people feel like that their opinion is the one that's correct, right? Uh, I want you to understand something, that the Word of God, the vision is something that's always been around. Uh, it has always been there since uh, man has been there. And uh, Paul is writing to a church that is going through division. And, uh, and what he says in verse 10, he's, he's talking to the church again. He says, my brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said now, that you all speak the same thing. Now, I want you to notice that he didn't tell them, I want all of you to believe the same thing. Because everybody in this room don't believe the same thing. Okay? Uh, everybody in your media. 
immediate family don't believe the same thing. But when you're after unity and you're after harmony, then you at least speak the same thing. And Paul's not talking about that you check your brain at the door, but he's simply saying that you say those things that are the important things and you don't get hung up on the minors and start majoring on the minors. And he said that there be no division among you and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, this is not God's judgment. This is in their judgment, how they judge things. In other words, that's what he's talking about, that they have the same mind, that they have the same judgment in the things that he's talking about. Now, what he's specifically addressing is that they were saying, you know, well, one was saying, I'm of Paul. Well, guess who was saying that? The Gentiles who had gotten born again, they were saying that I'm of Paul. Well, the Jews were saying, I'm of Cephas. That's Peter, Simon Peter. They were saying, I'm of Peter. I'm, you, know, I'm, he, he's, you know, he's the guy that I follow after. And some of them were saying, well, no, I'm of Apollos. And these were the Greeks. And they said, Apollos is the one that, that we follow. And they were causing division and contention in the church. And, of course, some of them were saying, I'm of Christ. And then he asked this question, is Christ divided? And, and Paul emphasizes the the, the blessing of diversity and he used the human body and he talked about hands and feet and eyes and ears and how important it is to have all those parts working together to make up the body of Christ but he wasn't saying that I want you to everybody to be an ear and every, he actually said that in Corinthians or everybody to be an eye he said if everybody was an eye where would the hand be where would the foot be and so he was all for diversity because you had Greeks getting saved and you have Jews getting born again and you have all these different uh, races and different people all coming together and it was such a challenging time and Paul was speaking to this church that you guys are different than all these people out here in the world because he said was Paul crucified for you I could say it like this was Muhammad crucified for you was Buddha crucified for you <laughs> if they wasn't crucified for you that's not your savior and so he said, is Christ divided? Or And that's why Paul said, I, I, you know, he said, were you baptized in my name? And, and you know, sometimes people, you know, I, I baptized, uh, you know, one of my precious brothers the other day over here because he asked me to and I love him so much and I just couldn't tell him no. But as a, as a pastor, you know, one of the reasons I've not really habitually done a lot of baptisms is many years ago, and I've been doing this a long time, it got to where in my, uh, the church I had founded, where, you know, like the baptism didn't count unless I did it. And, and I didn't want that because that's not true. I'm not baptizing people in my name. We're, we're baptizing people in the name of Jesus. The Bible said Jesus didn't baptize, but his disciples did all the baptizing. I'm not trying to say I'm Jesus. I'm just trying to do it like the Bible says to do it. And Paul said, I didn't baptize. He said, I only baptized a couple of people, and that's because he couldn't find somebody else to do it. Okay? <laughs> I mean, he had water and he had them, and he had to do it. You know, and it's, it's not that baptism is not important, but Paul didn't want to get caught up that you, you guys are special because that I did your baptism service or, or somehow I baptized you in my name. Paul said that's not what it's about. And I want to say something to you and that you all know, but the universal, you know what I mean by that, the universal body of Christ is not divided. It's not divided. Uh, neither, if, if the universal body of Christ is not divided, then neither should the local expression of that body which is the church, be divided also. Now, no man has won uh, our salvation <coughs> but, but Jesus. <coughs> and Paul was saying to the Corinthians, no, no man has saved you. <coughs> he said, I wasn't crucified for you. Nobody else was crucified. You, Christ was crucified for you. And he said, he, what he was trying to get them to see is that, that, that nobody, that they did not owe their allegiance to anybody except Jesus. Now, that's the thing that we really need to get a hold of as Christians because all this stuff that's going on out here in this world, a lot of churches are dealing with it, and a lot of church people are dealing with it. And if we're not careful, that division comes right into the church. And I want to tell you something. The world loves to point out how divided we are. When I say the world, I mean people that are not born again. They love to, to illuminate and, and, and draw attention to the fact that the Christians can't even get along. That's why some people say they don't want to come to church because, I mean, you Christians can. Well, part of that, you know, we have to own it. It's true. And there's a lot of division. And, 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 but our allegiance, let me tell you something. Your allegiance is not to anybody. 
but Jesus Christ if you are a believer. It's not to a president. It's not to a Democratic Party, a Republican Party, an independent party. Your allegiance, do you want to know by allegiance? Your allegiance as a believer is Jesus Christ. That's our allegiance. And it's because of that that that's what brings us unity. When th th this, this church here, <clears throat> and when I say this, I don't mean this like we're better than anybody else. Uh, you know, the, Grace Point is a diverse church. I don't know if you've noticed that. We are diverse racially, ethnically, okay? We, we have Latino, we have African American, we have white folks. We have folks like me that's white and Indian. <laughs> we, we have, we, we have a, we're, there's a lot of diversity. Do you know that there are people that will in, in this area that will not come to this church or that, you know, that they've come to the church, they look around and they see the diversity, they don't come back. Because we to this or we to that for them. See how quiet that gets? But it's true. I mean, you know, none of them really are brave enough to, you know, say it directly to me, but they've told their friends that have told me. Well, we, you know, we went there, but a little bit to this or to that for us. Well, heaven's going to be a real bad place for you then. I don't know if you've read the Bible lately, but God ain't going to make everybody, a, you know, one color when you get to heaven. Do you understand that you're going to retain your ethnic diversity in heaven? You, you need to read the book of Revelation. It says, I saw every nation and tongue around the throne of God with palm branches during the feast, by the way, praising and magnifying God. There's not going to be a south side of heaven, a north side, a west side, or an east side. I'll go back to preaching grace next Sunday, but let me get this out today, okay? But we need to position ourselves that we're just going to be different than the way this world is trying to make us. Now, you, you, you know, you got to know this, that behind all of this, you know, what's really driving this the Bible calls the, the devil the prince and the power of the air, right? Now, and I believe that can symbolize the airwaves. And he, he is using media to, to, to be the, the voice to push the division. Now, you do your thing, you, I do mine, you let me be me, you be you. But I decided about a decade ago that I'm done with the news for the most part. Now, I still get force-fed enough that gets me by, okay? Uh, but when I was a young boy, the news was something where people reported what had happened, and they just simply left it at that. That day's gone. Integrity in journalism is 99.9% .9 gone. And that's just a fact. Now, it doesn't matter if we're reporting about the weather, and the Weather Channel, them guys have been called out so many times, they're going to stand in a ditch, you know, half full of water, and they just show that part to make you think that's the way the water level is all over that area, and it's not. Because the, the news media has become like the WWE or the WWF, World Wrestling Federation, okay? Now, this is no kidding. That is over a $6 billion industry, wrestling. One of the most watched entertainment things that's on the planet. They have over 60 million fans, 60 million. And, and they're, they're watching these folks dress up in costumes and wrestle in their underwear. Okay? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't write, you watch it, and if you do, you're, I'm not saying any of that. I'm simply saying that there's a lot of money involved there. And I, and I watched a thing on, on TV some time ago, and, and they were asking these wrestlers about it, and they said, you know, it doesn't matter whether the people love us as a wrestler, who they're portraying, you understand that. It doesn't matter if they love us or hate us, all we're after is that they feel one of those. We want them to love us or hate us. You know, and of course, they always pit, you know, somebody that's loved and somebody that's hated against one another, and that sells a lot of tickets. And, and, and because what they, they don't want you doing is thinking. 
Now, if you're going to go to a wrestling, one of those kind of wrestling deals, and you're going to think, is this fake? Is that fake? You, you're not going to last. And you, you're not, that's not what you're going. You're going to feel. Now, when my boys was little, they, got, they really loved that, and they used to be a thing. I think it was called Monday Night Nitro or something. And, you know, it was always, you know, uh, wrestling going on, and they wanted to watch that on Monday nights. And, and I remember one time those guys came, those, you know, professional wrestlers, they came to Albany. And so a bunch of the brothers from the church, we loaded up and went. And I carried my, my two boys. They, they, they thought that was the best time. And, man, I got tickets as close as I could get. Man, we was about where we could feel the sweat hitting us. You know what I'm saying? We was right away. And, and they would broadcast that live on television every Monday night. And my wife was at home. And, and there was one time they put the table out there where they're going to throw them over onto the table. You know, we were standing, and I was standing up like, throw them on the table right here, right here. You know, and, and she saw me on TV. And we had the best time. We, we just had the best time. And we know it, it's, it's nothing, to, you know, there's nothing real there. It just made you feel something. You know, when the bad guy come out, we would boo him, you know, and the good guy, yay. And when we were leaving Albany at the Civic Center that night, they were in the parking lot filming a scene where they was fighting out there and, and throwing a guy on a car, and they was filming all that. And we, you know, and we were driving out watching them film that, and they played that the following Monday night as if it, it just happened live that night. And we watched them film it when we were pulling out of the parking lot in Albany. But they made it portrayed like it happened in Pittsburgh or somewhere next week, wherever they were the next week. But the point is it's all about feeling. It was just to make you feel something. And, and so not to think, but to feel. And they said that's the key to their money-making machine. Well, let me tell you something. That's what media has become. They are not there for you to think. They're there to make you feel. And, and, and they don't care if you hate something or love something just as long as you feel something because then business is good and then money's being made. They just want you to feel one way. And they want you to love something or hate something or love somebody. And if they don't have anything to get you all feeling angry or passionate about, then they'll pull out a poll because, you know, they're doing a poll on something every day. And then they'll set it up, and they, they don't report the news. They argue the news. It's no longer just tell you exactly this happened. It's to bring, and so now we'll pit people against each other. And so we'll have three or four, five, six faces on the screen at one time, and then we'll bring up the issue, and then they start just jumping on each other. You can even hardly hear them talk because they're arguing so bad. That's the news now. And if you're not careful, you get caught up in that machine because the news now is not to inform you, it's to make you feel something, and you feel angry. And see, the problem today is that if you tell somebody that you have an opinion, then immediately they put a, they put a name tag on you, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, and once they label you, it don't matter what you say from then on. You're, we already decided you're wrong. You can't be trusted, and you have no truth in you, and nothing you say is of value. Because as quickly as we can, we're going to get a label on you. That's what people always try to done, even with us in church. Well, what are you, I, people? All my life, what you know? What well, what kind of pastor are you, Brother Dale? Are you Baptist? I used to go, no, no, no. They'd go through the whole litany. <clears throat> then I went through like a decade. They'd say, are you Baptist? I'd say, yeah, I believe in baptizing people. Well, are you Methodist? Yeah, I believe in methodology and evangelism like John Wesley and those. Yeah, I'm, I'm part Methodist too. Well, are you, what, what are, 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 you, are you, are you Pentecostal? Yeah, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and all. Are you charismatic? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I believe in the gifts, yeah. I'm all that and a bag of chips, and Jesus. In, in two. <clears throat> I'm all that. See, the, the, the problem comes is when you circle the wagons around one thing and you say, I'm that. Then you're going to have a problem because God is a moving God. Now, God himself and his character and his nature doesn't change, but God's methodology does, uh, does change. Now, God's word doesn't ever change. But you've got to understand the Bible is written to first century Christians and all of it is influenced by the culture and agrarian society and all that kind of stuff. And, and the application of that is different depending on where you live. You, you can't go to some parts of the world and preach the way preachers used to preach or way out here and preach in America because it just don't pay out over there. It's just not the same. So the, the gospel is universal. You can preach the true gospel any nation any, to any people any time and it's all the same. 
right? And so we, 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 we have to be so careful, and I'm just saying to you, and I know you're dealing with it, and I've heard you, and I've seen some of your, 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 your posts, and I, I know you, you struggle with it. Well, part of my job as a shepherd is to try to help shepherd us through these times like this. And I just want you to see that the vision that's going on now <clears throat> is not something unique that's never happened before. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, Paul addressed the church again at Corinth. He said, first of all, when you come together as a church, well, that kind of illuminates that we're still supposed to come together. And don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. In another place in Corinthians, he said, when you all together, you all come together in one place. You know, so that God wants us to come together as a people. But he said, when you all come together as a church, he said, I hear there are divisions among you, and I in part believe it. Now, what he was talking about, and I won't read all the verses, he was saying the way they were doing the Lord's Supper was really messed up. Now, Paul said, when you come together and you got all this division, you got one guy over here that's hungry, and you won't let him eat. And he's poor and he can't bring the kind of food you bring. And then you got another guy over here, he's drunk. It's in your Bible. This is what Paul, he said, now I'm not going to brag on you for this. He said, you guys are, and so Paul's just trying to bring order and, and unity into that church because they were really messing up the Lord's Supper. And then in John 7, I told, I mentioned this to you a few weeks ago uh, in verse 41 they were talking about Jesus, and it says others said this is the Christ. Now, they were trying to argue about who Jesus is. Is this really Jesus? In other words, is this really the Messiah? Now, they said some said this is the Christ. That means the anointed one. But some said, well, if that's the Christ, will the Christ come out of Galilee? And they're asking a question. And then in verse 2, it says, has the Scriptures not said that the Christ comes from the seed of David, from the town of Bethlehem where David was? Now, here's somebody that whooped out a verse on them. He said, now you're saying he's coming from Galilee, and you're saying he's the Christ, and this guy saying he, he can't be the Christ because I read in my Bible where it says he's going to come from the seed of David and he's going to come from Bethlehem. So you got to be wrong and i got to be right. And then somebody else says, you know, this. And then the next verse says, so there was a division, notice that, among the people because of him. Now, and I mentioned this to you that the prophets had prophesied. So we got all these Old Testament prophets so Micah had prophesied that the, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and come out of Bethlehem, same place that David was born. That's true. But the prophets also prophesied that the Messiah would come out of Egypt. And that was true because when Jesus was a toddler, Gabriel appeared to Joseph, his dad, and said, take the child to Egypt and stay there till Herod is dead. And then I'll tell you when to bring him back. So in other words, Jesus, the Messiah, did come out of Egypt. But he wasn't born in Egypt. He wasn't from Egypt. And also they prophesied that he would be a Nazarene, which means he would come out of Galilee. And as soon as Joseph got back with the young child, Jesus, then they lived in Galilee. And he was called a Nazarene because he was from Nazareth. And he, and he was raised there all of his life. He was a carpenter's son there. And so, but listen to me, all three of those things that they're arguing about were true. They were all true, but yet people would form an opinion and they would create division because they had to be right, that makes you wrong. Okay, so then you got now, so, you know, so what is it? They would say to, you know, me, you know, is it predestination or is it free will? And I go, yes, it is. You know what that means? That's not a politically correct answer. That's because the Bible teaches predestination, that you are predetermined. You are chosen by God. But it also teaches that you have a free will. But now we got churches that said, no, I got you got to be one or the other. So we got free will Baptists. They put it right on the sign. Don't come here with no predestination doctrine. Don't bring your Calvinism here because we're free will. And, that's, and, and see, but free will, you can believe that you have a free will and also be predestined. Read Romans 8. And, and so, but yet the church is so, gets caught up. And I want to tell you who's behind the division always is the devil. He, he's always the one behind it. And, and, and Satan wants to separate us and he wants to create division. And listen, he doesn't care what you divide over. He doesn't care. Luke twenty two thirty one. 31 
Jesus is talking to Simon. Now, this is before the crucifixion and all that. And this is he's talking to Peter, Simon Peter. And, he, and the Lord says to him, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, anybody remember your grandmother had a sifter? And, and she, I don't know if you remember this, but she had a flour bin. She had a cabinet that had a big old thing that she pulled out metal and she'd keep that thing full of flour. And then at the bottom of it, it had a sifter. If she got ready to make biscuits, she'd just stick her bowl up under that and, and crank that out, and here comes the flour. But every now and then she would bring it out, and, and they'd clean out like little rocks and little hard things. That's the reason she was sifting it, because she was trying to separate that out of what she was going to make biscuits with. You understand? So that's, that's what it says in the message translation, same verse. It says, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. And so that's Satan's agenda. And you know that, but I'm just reminding you, that Satan's agenda is to separate you ultimately from Jesus. Now, I'll tell you something he's done with the coronavirus. He's behind that. God ain't sent none of that. So he has separated a lot of people from the church. That's why a lot of churches can't even make it. They're, they're, they're half full at best. And in some locales and in some countries, Canada and other places, I mean, you can't even have church. But you can do everything else. You can go to sporting events. You can go to this, but you can't go to church because Satan is the one behind that. He's just trying to separate us ultimately from Jesus. He tries to separate us from one another. I don't mean this mean, but some people have finally got the excuse they were looking for not to come to church. And I don't mean that mean. I really don't. But I'm just just own it and just say I don't want to come. Because as long as I'm seeing you everywhere else, that eliminates your excuse for being here. You, you can go to a restaurant. You can go wherever else you go. Well, you can go to church. You, I have found out I'm old enough. Let me tell you what people do, what they bloody well want to. You can't sell me nothing less than that. People do what they want to do, and if they don't do it, it's called they don't want to. And you can't make anybody do anything. I've learned I can't, I can't make my kids do anything. Not, you know, when they, you can't make grown people do stuff. They're going to do what they're going to do. You can pray for them. You can try to be an influencer. You can try to be an example, but you can't make people. You can't make them do anything. And so Satan is behind that, and we just need to be sober in our thought and understand that he's the one that's behind that. And, and, and then, you know, somebody's pointed out before, you know, when you start talking about division uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, this is what Jesus says. And it almost seems contradictory, but look what Jesus says, Luke 12 and 51. He says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? He said, I tell you not at all, but rather division. Now, here's Jesus talking, and he said, now, you, you, you're saying, do you, you think I come to bring peace? And he said, no, I came to bring division. Now, but you've got to listen to what he says. He says, from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two, two against three. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, is Jesus proud of that kind of division that goes on in the family? No, he's not. But what he's, he, what he's talking about, and then in another place he said, did you think that I came to bring peace? He said, I say no unto you, but I came to bring a sword. Now, he wasn't talking about a military weapon. He wasn't talking about a Roman sword. He was talking about the sword of truth, and truth does separate people. Let me say it this way. It's not so much truth separates people. It's their response to truth that separates people. And they separate themselves from God, and they separate themselves from one another, and they separate themselves from their family based on what their response is to what is perceived to be truth. Now, I could sit here and take up hours telling you all the things that make us separate from one another. But it's always been that way. You know, you know baptism. Well, who can preach? Can a woman preach? I mean, I just can't receive from a woman preach. You know, I mean, all... The list is, man, we can go on. You know, is it contemporary worship or is it traditional? Does both really bring glory to the Lord? You know, I mean, you got to understand to learn the difference between preference and the Word of God. There's things that I prefer. There's music that I prefer. There's beats that I prefer. There's music that I don't prefer. 
My grandchildren now have gotten old enough that they want to control the dial in the truck on the radio. Most of the time, I always just ride with no, no sound on. I enjoy the sound of silence. And that's just truth. Me and my wife, we're the same way like that. We'll go on a long trip and never turn nothing, you don't even listen to nothing. And so, you know, some people just they get in the car, they, it's got to be blaring when you get in there. And, and I'm good with that, and there's times I want to listen to something, you know. But the grandchildren, you know, they, they you know, and I got some of them now, nine, we know they're, they're nine, ten years old. They want to listen to their stuff, and I don't like their stuff. I just don't like their stuff. But I'll let them play their stuff because I love them that much. I, I just let them play. You don't have to. That don't make me a better grandparent than you. I just let them play their stuff, you know, and I'll just try to grit my teeth and deal with it. Because I love them, and they're going through. And I've watched. They change, man, and they'll listen to this, and then they'll change to this, you know. And like my little grandson, you know, one of them, he's he been listening to, you know, like rock and roll and Aerosmith and all. You know, I said, man, and he talking about like this, like he done found something new. I told him that that music, that's when your poppy was a teenager. I was, that's how old that is. And it's like he just it just ticked him off because, see, he thought he had something brand new. I said, man, that's old. I said, they all in the nursing home singing now. I mean, them people. <laughs> them people's old. You ain't found that ain't nothing new. I would listen to that when I was a teenager. So then he changed to something else. Because you, know, you don't never know. Because they're going through and they're discovering and changing. Last night, you know, he came in there and he said, well, Poppy, this is what I want you to give me for Christmas. He's kind of been on that a few weeks. He tries to get way out in advance, you know, in case he has to order something far away that his, you know, that I got to get in here. <clears throat> he knows the supply chain's been a little stressed lately, so he's. And so he brought this in there to me, and 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 he told me a little deal he wanted, and, and my wife would tell you, and he said, "This is what I want, Pop." And I said, "Well, I can, I done bought you something kind of like that years ago." He said, "Yeah, but this is different. This is better." I said, okay, now you got to make up your mind now. And then, and what was it? It wasn't two hours. He come back in there. He said, I don't want that no more. <laughs> he said, I don't change my, I don't want that. And, you know, because there's something else. He saw something on YouTube that made him say, I don't want that because somebody else likes it. That I don't know what it was. It confused me. So I just say, you got to get your mind made up what you want. Well, a lot of that's like it is with the church. Do you, do you understand that there's things when I first became a believer that I no longer believe, but I believed them ferociously at that time. But because of life experiences, studying in the Word of God, my experience with God, and the teaching from the Word of God, then as I've lived my life, I've changed my view on some things. And it doesn't make me a heretic back then. Heresy is really, all heresy in one, one sense could be said it comes from truth that has been carried to an extreme. But when you take a truth, like you can take, like I was saying, you know, is it predestination or is it free will? Listen, we believe in both of those things because the Bible believes in both of those things. But, but if you carry one of them to an extreme and you push it to an extreme and then you make that, a, you know, your denomination, you make that your stance and everybody else then that don't believe just like you is wrong, then that's heresy. And, and, and Peter dealt with that in, in, in Second Peter. He, he, he hated that. Paul dealt with that in Ephesians chapter 2. And, 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 and the latter part from verse 10 on of the finishing of Ephesians 2, Paul is addressing with these Jews and Gentiles. And, and he's telling these Gentiles, he says, don't you get caught up in all of this. And, and, and he starts telling them, he said, now I want you to remember this about you. He said, you, you Gentiles who were said that you are of the uncircumcision by those who are, circ are circumcised. And so the Jews would call the, the, the Gentiles uncircumcised. You know, the, the, you, in fact, they had so many rules, and many of this is, of course, not in the Bible, but the Jews had all these rules. The, the Jews couldn't even help a Gentile woman give birth to a baby because that was bringing another Gentile into the world. The Jew couldn't even go into the home of a Gentile without being ceremonially unclean. And they had all these rules. And, and there was so much division, and they, they hated one another, and it was because of religion. 
and it was their view of religion, which God had always told Abraham that, that I'm going to bless all nations because of you. And so, but see, so God didn't choose the, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, as a people. It says in the Bible, in other words, he didn't choose them, he said, because they were many, because they were the wisest, because they were the fairest, because they were the choicest people. He, but he chose them because they were weak. He chose them because they were little. He chose them so that he might show forth his strength in them. And he said he chose them so that through them the nations of the earth would be blessed through them. But now the Jews as a people as a whole, not all, but they, they began prideful in that. And they begin to think, well, God chose us because we're better than you. And so then the Jews start hating the Samaritans. And Samaritans were simply Jews that had married into the Gentiles. And so now we've got the ethnic wars going on, and we've got the, all this stuff going on. And now the Jews are, are, are arrogant in their pride. We're better than anybody. We're a Jew. And God likes us better than you. And he chose us. He didn't choose you. He only chose you so that you would be a blessing to people. And now Paul's in the, in the book of Ephesians. He's trying to tell the Gentiles, don't y'all get caught up and start acting like that. He said, because God has blessed you through the Jews, and now God's made you to be a blessing to other people. And so God's choosing of us is not something that we're arrogant about, or I'm better than you, or, or you know, I'm a first class. God doesn't have first, second, third class Christians. And, and it's easy to get caught up in this, and it's easy for us that's been born again for a long time to revert back to that old way of thinking that I'm better than you, I'm different than you because I'm better than you. And, and that sets up for division. And so we are living in a really, really challenging time. It's not unique to our generation. I've just shown, I can go all through the Bible and show you where the word division keeps coming up. And Paul keeps addressing it and says, don't do that. And, he's, and he, here in, uh, in Corinth, he's saying, I, I plead with you. I plead with you, brothers, by the mercy of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, that, that, that you allow no division to be among you. And I want to tell you something. Unity is not something that just happens. In this church here, this, this church <clears throat> is not something that just happens. And again, please understand, I don't mean this like I think or that we, Grace Point, think that we're better than any other church in Valdosta or anywhere else. Okay, I'm on record, okay? I, I really mean that. But I'm not going to apologize for who God's uniquely made us to be. But, but I want to say to you that we are not the norm. In, in most churches, you, you're not able to look in to the churches and see diversity. Uh, many are recorded in history, and famous people said one time, famous man said that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. Because we all go to our churches, and there's nothing wrong if you're, you know, if you're, just say you're Korean and you speak the Korean language. I could understand coming here would be a challenge for you, and so you may need to go to a Korean church where there's your language is being spoken and you can understand and be edified and strengthened and build up. And so I understand that, and I'm not saying that you should. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go, but but your, your motive's got to be right. Now, one thing God put in my heart many, many years ago, and this doesn't make me special or anything. I guess part of it, I just, you know, the biggest part of it, I just attribute the way my parents uh, trained me. Uh, not to, I, we, we, it just wasn't a racial thing in my family. and It, it just wasn't. And uh, my first recollection of somebody keeping me uh, was an African-American lady that, while mama worked she kept me I don't know if that had to do I don't know uh, I called her Aunt Geneva her name was Geneva and I remember her until I was five years old until we moved out and she kept me and she was like my second mama and uh, so her skin didn't bother me I was raised with her you, you see what I'm saying so I don't know so I'm just I'm thankful I, I guess maybe that had a lot I don't know but, but it's always been my heart and I remember when I started Cornerstone Church, and it was my heart and my vision for the church that I'd started to be a multiracial, multi-ethnic church, and a church that we could reflect the, what heaven's going to be, every kindred, nation, and tongue. And I just simply wanted to reflect that as best I could. But I found myself being a white boy. And I didn't know how to fix that. And But I would pray, and I would say, God, please send African-American to be with church, whatever, you know, please. 
you know, and, 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 and you know, people, they didn't come. And it wasn't because I wanted a few token black folks, you know. I wanted our church to reflect what I saw in Revelation. And, I, and then one time God did a strange thing to me. I, had, I was so traditional. I had Sunday school at 10, church at 11. We'd come back Sunday night at 6. We had Tuesday night intercessory prayer. And, and then we had Wednesday night Bible study. Everybody liked me. I was sweet. I was doing church just like everybody else. And I was praying one time, when I, we had, you know, and I said, God, please, just, I'll do anything you tell me to do. You better be careful. And God spoke to me, and he said, I, did, I believe it's all Marty said, why are you doing what you're doing? I had never even asked that question. Why are you doing it like you're doing it? But that's the way you do it. That's how you do church. <laughs> Where's that at in the Bible? It ain't in there. God said, I want you to go to church one service on Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I don't like church at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know about you, but I don't care for it. God spoke to me. Said, I said, where's that at in the Bible? He said, like, follow me. So Peter and John on the way to the temple, being at the 3 o'clock in the afternoon, being the hour of prayer. And, and I just found so many references to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The time of the evening sacrifice at the temple was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I found all kind of Bible verses for 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I couldn't find one verse for 11 a.m. I couldn't find one for 10 or 10.30. And I started studying about church history, agrarian Society had influenced our church time, and they had, they had, had church said it was delayed till 11 to give the dairy farmers and all time to get their, you know, stuff, milk and all, so they could still make it to church. Really, it was an agrarian decision that 11 came from. And used to folks would go to church at 11, and they wouldn't get home 3 o'clock in the afternoon because they would have dinner every Sunday and all that kind of deal, but it's a different, different deal. And so it was, it was, uh, and so I, I, I remember I got up one Sunday, and I was so convinced that this is what God wanted, but I was so terrified. I'm just being honest. I could lose my whole church here. I don't know how many people we had then. I don't know, 100, 120 maybe or something. And I, on one Sunday, I announced, you know, we'll not be doing this anymore, blah, blah, whatever. And next Sunday, we're going to meet at 3 o'clock. And then I just stood for the collateral to come. I lost eight people. Now, several of them were Sunday school teachers because it ticked them off that I ain't going to do Sunday school. And I remember I told one guy, I said, if you, you can still teach, just teach at your house. Just see if, they, if you're teaching good enough, they'll drive to hear it. <laughs> Instead of me forcing them to be there at your class. I didn't even know back then that eight was a number of new beginnings. But oh my God, when I changed to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I became an immediate cult leader in the community. Nobody ever heard nobody going to church at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then they started sending rumors around that I was hooked up with David Koresh. You don't remember that dude, do you? <clears throat> All kind of stuff. I remember one day that we did, we did this thing, and I don't know, it was just where I was at, young pastor and all, but we did like, we called it an Acts 1919 party, you know one Sunday, and we had people could bring anything like they did in Acts 19, 19, where they brought their books, the books of divination and all that stuff, and Paul had them burned, you know, they burned them. So I had barrels set up, and everybody could bring anything, and so people, you know, I had guys bringing their Playboy books to church, you know, and, you know, and they were dumping them in the barrel, and so we went outside, and people were burning their stuff, you know. Now, a lot of them went back and had to buy them again later, I think, but But they was burning stuff. And so some people rode by and saw us out there with our hands raised and we had these burn bells going. Oh, did that create some rumors there? They said, Can you believe that pastor had them people cleaning the yards on Sunday out there? He was He said, I rode by and saw them. They was out there cleaning the yards and burning the trash. It was so uncomfortable for me to do that. But you know what it taught me? I realized how religious I had become and how formed into tradition that I was. But it was also during that time of going to church. And I didn't, can I say to you, my flesh didn't like that. 
but I felt like God said that to me. And we did it, and, and, we, and we prospered, and the church continued to grow. And so some people, some people got where they liked it. They'd sleep late, get up and eat a big breakfast, and then they'd come to church, and, and I would get them out real early. You know, they'd be home, you know, back 5 o'clock, 5.30, you know. You know, you had some, I don't like going the middle of the day. It's right in my nap time, you know, whatever. So you can't make everybody happy. But we did it for a couple of years. But it was during that time that God spoke to me about this thing with the racism. He said, if you want, you know, different races to come to church, you make the move. Don't just pray to me. And I remember I didn't know any African-American pastors, but I did know uh, a church, you know, close to me in Sparks. I thought, well, I'm in Sparks. I should maybe go to a church in Sparks. And, and so uh, I was talking to one of my members about it, and I just said, man, I just feel like, I'll, you know, I just need to do that. He said, well, I, there's a church behind my garage back here, you know, a few blocks. We, we can go there. And I went to Mount Olive Missionary Baptist Church. And I took my wife and three kids, my three kids, and I took this brother and his wife and his kid. And uh, how many is that? Eight. New beginning. Anyway, it's interesting. We knocked on, you know, went in the door, went open the door, walked in, and they had Sunday school going in the sanctuary. And, the, you know, and it was kind of weird to me, but, you know, and they was all sitting on one side, and there was a guy who had a little podium right there, and he was teaching, and we went in. And, and so now you got eight white people walking in an African-American church. That kind of tends to mess up their Sunday morning. And so the guy's looking at us. We come in and file in on the, the very back available pew and sit down. And the guy's looking, you know, and he's trying to do his lesson. And he keeps looking at us. And finally, he gets so frustrated, he said, I'm just going to have to ask, what, what, what are y'all doing here? And so I stood up and I introduced myself. And I said that it's just in our heart to, to be here. And, and he said, well, and, and so anyway, real, he started crying. We started crying. God was all in it. They were so touched that we came. It was just, it was just God, and He said, "Our pastor's not here. He pa he pastors in Valdosta uh, two Sundays a month, and then two Sundays a month he's here. And then if we have fifth Sunday, they do something special, you know, whatever." And he said, uh, "But he, his name's M.J. Robinson, Doctor M.J. Robinson said he's not here. He's in Valdosta, but he'll be back. But we were sure tell him you came." I said, "I appreciate that," and we stayed and enjoyed the service with him. Next week, here comes that pastor, Dr. M.J. Robinson, come, and he walked in my church, and he said, he introduced himself, he said, I want to meet the white man that came to my church while I was gone. And I want to tell you all, it's too long a story. We, came, we became the sincere best of friends, the best of friends. And pastor Keith knows that. My wife knows that. Many sitting here. He, he, he wasn't my black friend. He was my friend that happened to be black. He... he we, God just knit our hearts, and he was a much, much older man, and I was just a young guy, but we became so close, we loved one another, and God accomplished so many things through that. When he, I remember when, you know, when, when, when trouble hits, the first person you call, that's your friend, family, somebody loves you, and I remember when he, when he didn't want to leave the church, but he kind of got voted out of the church years later. My doorbell rang, and he, he, he was standing at my door, and I opened the door, and he walked in. He always called me Doc. He said, Doc, they're they, 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 they getting rid of me. And he just fell on my arms. Now, that wasn't the first time he'd been in my house. He'd been in my house. I'd been in his. We loved each other. I remember I said, Brother Robinson, I want you. I had a, had a preacher call and invite me to the ministerial alliance in, in that county, and, and I thought I was finally maybe going to be recognized that I'm a for real preacher. And they invited me to the Western Citizen, so I went. And I'd only been going a few weeks, and I said, Dr. Robinson, why don't you go with me? And he dropped his head, and I said, what's wrong with you? He said, I've already been. He said, I sat through a whole meeting, and nobody even asked me my name. He said, I was the only black guy there. I said, well, you come with me this next meeting, I guarantee you they'll know your name. And I didn't mean that in a mean way, but I had learned that Dr. Robinson had earned his doctorate degree. Wasn't something he bought it off the internet. I learned that he had pastored in Salt Lake City, Utah, where he had more white people in his church than he did African Americans. I'd learned that he started a church in Knoxville, Tennessee, that he had like 27 staff pastors and run hundreds and hundreds of people. This was a man that had lived his life 
And yet now he found himself in a little small church in Sparks and pastored one of the invite offices. So I went to that meeting and I introduced him with all the accolades and all that I could find. And God just opened up the heart of that organization. Do you realize that through, and then they, they ended up electing me as president, him as vice president. I served as president for five years. This, none of this makes me great. But, but God was after something in that town. We did vacation Bible study at Dr. Robinson's church in the African-American neighborhood. We rented the tent. I couldn't get but three churches to participate to help us to do that, to hold it there so that our kids could see we're going to work together, we're going to love one another, and we're going to learn about one another. When I would go on mission trips, when I first time I ever went on a mission trip, Dr. Robinson's who I'd leave in my pulpit while I was gone out of the country. And I shared his pulpit, and we loved each other. And we, I mean, we, we shared our life together. We fished together. We ate together. We loved one another. I remember that he was the first African-American pastor to preach in a church that we held a, a community-wide, and we did a racial reconciliatory service that he and I speared up. And we stood before people, and we brought up the issue of racism in that county. And we prayed the prayer, and we made the declaration, and we said, this is what we're going to be different now. I remember one pastor lost his job. And I can name the church and name the pastor, but I won't. And, and it was a young pastor. He'd been there and because he participated with us at the, uh, uh, the vacation Bible school. And right after that, he got fired. It's bad to work for a deacon-possessed church. You're easier to get demons out than deacons. Come on, help me somebody. And we believe in deacons. We, you know what I mean by that. But where there's political agendas. And we saw God do so many things. And when that man moved off and went to Knoxville, Tennessee, and lived there with his family, and then... He, he had a stroke, and later on he, he was having, you know, got over that a little bit, and he started a church out in Whiteville, Tennessee. He wanted me to come. Me and Jill went, and I went and dedicated that new church in Whiteville, Tennessee. And uh, I remember that morning, me and Jill remember, when we pulled up, because he would always dress in the robes. And, it, and I looked on my truck, and it was 32 degrees. It was cold. And he was standing out that church with that robe on looking to see my truck pull up. And that's what he told his congregation. He said, you, you don't drive this far unless you're doing it for your friend. Man, we had a time out there. And later on, then he had some more strokes. He had some problems. But he told his family, he said, I want to die, and I want to go home from Sparks. Because he started having a real lot of problems. And I remember that he, and, and, and we went to see, me and Jill went to Atlanta Hospital. Him and his wife was in there. We went in, and I was talk he said, I want to talk to you, Doc. He always called me Doc. He said, I want to talk to you about my home going. I want you to preach it. And uh, I said, I ain't here to talk to you about dying. I'm here to talk to you about living. And, and, but anyway, he wanted to talk about it. And that's what he told me. He said, I want to go home from Sparks. I want to go home to the Lord from Sparks. They brought him here to Valdosta. They put him in a nursing facility here. He wasn't there but a couple of days, and then he had another stroke, and they put him back over in South Georgia. So on the Sunday, me and Jill went. Her parents were here then. They went with us. And, and his family couldn't figure out why he's so involved with this white guy. And, and so he had a big family. One of his daughters, a lawyer in Atlanta. I'd never met her. I walked in that hospital room, and his family was all around that bed. But when I walked in, he had done lost really his ability to speak. But he hadn't lost his ability to see or know who it was. And as I opened my door and walked in, he saw me, and tears started coming out of his eyes. Is that the truth? And I went over and put my arms around him, kissed him on the cheek, and held him, and he held on me, and he died just right after that, next day or two. I've got his home going on DVD. We did it at our church, at my church. I think we had like nine preachers <laughs> that preached his funeral because he was such a preacher's preacher and a great man. But see, you never know what little act of obedience that you do, that little ripple just by me going to a, a church that I didn't even know. But I felt like I had to make a move. Something, nothing's ever going to change unless you change something. And I said, if I want my church to be different, then I've got to be different. 
And I want to tell you something. If I was faking any of this, you can't fake this. In other words, you got to be able to feel in my heart what, what, what's real in my heart. In other words, if you first come, you don't know me until you just, you're around me a while, just like you don't know anybody. But my heart is for this. My heart, I'm not a perfect guy, but my heart is for diversity. And, 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 and these elders, I, I love these guys, and, 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 and I inherited them, all of them. The only one I've ever put on as an elder was Billy Ray, and then he moved off to Kentucky and left us. Still love you, Billy Ray. And, and, and this is such, because, you know, one thing that makes this, this church so special is we don't just talk it. We, 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 have, we have diversity in, in leadership. And, 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 and that means a lot to people. And I'm thankful for who God's made us to be. And I've had people tell me, well, if you would do this and you would do this, or if you moved here, if you did this, then you would be this. Man, I can't do all that. That ain't who I am. I, you know, I is what I is. I am what I am, and it, but because my heart is the diversity, not division, but diversity that God's given this church. I want you to stand on your feet with me. But I want to tell you something. What what God's doing here at Grace Point, a lot of people need it, and and they need to be able to see it. That everybody's not fighting everybody. That everybody's not divided. Now see. You know, to end it with the with the punchline, I'm just I'm asking you this. Today it's so easy to get caught up in stuff. Are you vaccinated or are you not vaccinated? You're wearing a mask, you're not wearing a mask. And we form opinions by what we see or what we think we see or what we know or what we think we know. And and and, and, and then you, you 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 know, then you label them where they're a mask wearer or they're not a mask wearer or they're vaccinated. They don't and then here you go and then you stick that sticker mentally on them. And then you're done with them. I want to do like Paul did. I plead with you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there be no division among you and that you remain perfectly joined to the one who died on the cross for you, and that's Jesus Christ, and that he is the center point of our unity. And no, we don't agree on every little thing, but that doesn't make them a person a demon just because they don't believe exactly like you believe. And they feel like, you know, you listen, don't get caught up in this because this world is trying to come at us with a tidal wave of this stuff. And, and, and this has probably been one of the most successful endeavors of the enemy to try to separate people from Jesus Christ, from the church of Jesus Christ, and from one another. I want to tell you something. You know, you know, have all these lies that we were raised up with. And I don't mean diabolically. Yeah, I remember my, my grandma would tell me, don't go back there to the boogeyman to get you. There wasn't no boogeyman back there. She just tried to control me. She was trying to keep me out of her refrigerator at night. Talking about there was a boogeyman in the kitchen. No boogeyman in the kitchen. There's a candy bar back there I'm after. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, she would do that. She's in heaven now and knows better, but she used to tell us that. Talking about a boogeyman. There wasn't no boogeyman. You're just trying to control me. Okay? And, and so you, you got all, you got, that's what's happening today. You got people telling you stuff that ain't real, but they're trying to control you. They're trying to make you angry about something. They're trying to control you to manipulate you. And, and, and you, get, you, you, get, you get caught up in this stuff. You know, people say, you know, and you have all these sayings, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, words never hurt me. That's a big lie. Words hurt you. They have a tremendous influence. Jenny was talking about it. The power of your words, life or death. So, yeah, that's a big lie. You know, words don't, yeah, words do hurt you. That's what hurts most of us is people's, the words, if we receive them and take them. But another one is absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's a lie. Absence does not make your heart grow fonder. And I'll tell you something, I've learned that as a senior pastor, and I've learned it as people in business, I've learned it as family. When, when you separate yourself for whatever reason or cause, even if you can't control it, but when you're separated from people that once knew you, and, and you have that long time where you're not talking or dealing or even communicating with one another, absence does not make your heart grow fonder. It makes you grow suspicious because you've got an enemy loose. And, and he's always trying to say, well, they don't care nothing about you or they're mad at you. You know, now here a while back, I sent somebody a, a loving text. They don't even come to church here. They're just a, it's just a minister. I sent somebody a loving text, and 
And, you know, just they come on my heart. I was praying for them that day. I sent them a text and said, I'm thinking about you, praying about you. And, and if you ever need me, I'm always here. They never have a text back. What does that mean? I don't know. But guess what I first thought when it came to me? Well, they mad at me. They've gotten upset somehow or another or whatever. Well, if that really stays on you, then the Bible says if you think your brother's got all, you go to him. Okay? If you're just interested in what the Bible says. But absolutely don't make the heart grow fonder. That's why thousands and hundreds and thousands of divorces we've heard from people said that they were separated from one another and they grew apart. It, ain't, it don't happen just in Hollywood. It can absolutely don't make your heart grow fonder. It makes you grow suspicious or you don't. You don't have that. Listen, so we have to work harder at trying to connect with one another. Now, sometimes we can do that through a text. We can just say, love your brother, praying for you, whatever. But don't you take because I don't text or somebody. Don't, don't let the enemy say, well, they don't care nothing about you. You, you, you understand I'm not omniscient. That means all-knowing. So I don't. You know, I've had people get mad at me because they was in the hospital and I didn't know nothing about it. Well, first off, if you're looking for a pastor who's got to be there every time they burn a ward off of you, I'm not that guy. I had to work, and not only at the church but in the insurance industry because I've grown in the habit of eating. So I can't be there every time they burn a ward off of you, holding your hand, praying in the Holy Ghost, you know what I'm saying? But, but God connects us to people. He connects us in these community groups that Ron was talking about. If you're in a community group, I guarantee you if you go in a hospital and you're in a community group, they're going to reach out to you. Well, that's part of what we ask them to do. We try to shepherd the sheep and care for the flock that the Lord's give us oversight. And, and we would never intentionally, you know, boy, if you need somebody, you know, it's like they say used to, you know, like they say, Ivory old squeak if wheel gets the oil. If you need some oil, you know, we need to come anoint you with oil. Squeak a little bit, holler out. We'll bring the olive oil and head your way. Come on now. We'll lay hands and pray for you, believe God for you. And, and, and that's what the body of Christ is, that we have to work harder at it. And we have to reach out to one another. And I want this church to be something more than you just know the back of the person's head in front of you. Okay? And, that, and that's going to take effort on your part. I can't coordinate. I have coordinated it. But that none of those things really work long term. I've had guests who coming to dinner. And we would coordinate those programs. And those programs are good. And we would have four or five people show up at your house. You didn't even know who was coming. And we had it all coordinated. And that was pretty cool and fun. But if you don't keep it going, it don't last. Because once a year, once every two years, that splash in the pan don't really build a long-lasting relationship. And you know what? God had not called you to be in relationship with everybody. But he has called you to be in relationship with somebody. And like last Sunday, I, there was a lady here. I don't guess she's here today. She was visiting with family or friends, I believe, and it was South Carolina, North Carolina or something. And, and so they came up, and they were asking questions. I was teaching about the, the special appointed times of the Lord and the, and the feast and all that stuff. And I noticed Jeannie kept standing over there. And I was like, well, she must be waiting on to go to lunch because we always go to lunch together. On, like, oh, she wanted to find out where we eat. Bad. She was standing over there, and this lady had a lot of questions, and they were good questions, and God was just opening up you know, her heart, and I was trying my best to just speak into those things. And, and Jeannie, I think you told her that you, you had been drawn to her while you was up on stage singing last Sunday. And you knew in your heart that she had all these questions, and you just wanted to affirm and confirm that feeling that you had and, and, and hug her and introduce yourself to her and just let her know that even before all that happened, you felt that for her. Of course, I told Jeannie after service, I said, I said you should have just bust off and prophesied to her, you know. And, uh, and, and see, but see, what I'm saying is, the reason I say that is because, see, she had this drawing to that woman. The woman's here from South Carolina or North Carolina, whatever it was. She just had that drawing. See, that's God on the inside of you. There's no telling what that did for that woman to know, here's a singer on the stage that felt drawn to me while I'm just sitting in this strange church. I'm here visiting for one Sunday, and this woman feels so drawn to me that she's going to stand there for 10 or 15 minutes while we talk to the pastor, and she's going to hug me, introduce herself, and tell me she felt that for me. You don't think I had an influence on her? That's what church is about. So those little tugs you feel, and those, and whether it happens in this building or it happens, you know, at the grocery store, just be be sensitive to that, and don't get caught up in the division. Love one another, and I know you got to be a special people to come here and put up with me in this. But you, you there's got to be something in you that loves diversity, and you love that, and you're you're, you're an example to that. 
But I love the way God's designed everything, the way God's done the earth. No two snowflake, all that stuff that God's done is just amazing to me. And so you don't get caught up in that. That's what grace is about. You give that grace to everybody. You love them. You choose to love them. And don't you major on what divides us, but you major on him who's, who unifies us, and that's Jesus. And that's why we can declare that we're, that's the unity that we have. And so when somebody asks you about the unity, you point to Jesus. You point to Jesus. You don't have to say Jesus was a Jew, but he was. He came as that, but he's God. But you point to that. Can you say amen? Amen. Are you encouraged today? You give the Lord praise for it. Amen. All right. Let me pray for you and, and bless you. Oh,